0: Well good evening. Welcome
1: everybody. Good to see you and I uh, hope you haven't been had to be outside a lot today because it's pretty warm. Brother uh, Jim has recorded the service tonight and will be talking to us here in a bit. Before that happens I would uh, remind everybody and give the little commercial that he does about the different uh, different. Various ways to join us for worship Facebook at HBC Telehoma or on the youtube channel uh, he 's good at this commercial and i 'm not very good at it but anyway there's there 's a way for others to uh, tune in for uh, watching the service tonight and, and joining us even on sundays and uh, I think there's a number written on here for the call-in, 866-961-2422, that you can uh, can dial in and also listen to us on your phone. But anyway, we want to welcome you here, and you want to turn them on? Let me see if I can turn these machines on. Take turn your hymnals tonight, y'all, and uh, let's sing "Love Lifted Me" at uh, five forty-six. Hymn five forty-six. Love, lift, love lifted me. Miss Pat.
0: <laughs> I was sinking deep in sin. This Out of the angry waves He's the master of the sea Billows his will obey He, your Savior, wants to be be saved
1: For those of you that uh, didn't get a sheet, there's a sheet with a prayer list on it down here. Uh, we'll go through a few of them and then we'll pray and then let Brother Jim share what he has to share with us. Um, let's look in at, looking at the HBC families. Uh, uh, there's several that were actually here Sunday that, that have been on the list and that's been a blessing and an answered prayer. It was good to see Belle here this this past Sunday, and um, uh, Aaron Murray still recovering. Also, uh, we want to pray for Brenda Gilbert. Uh, she has some tests coming up. Also, Miss Terry, we want to remember you and your family at the passing of your stepfather. Also, this past weekend uh, uh, with the Stedham family and for the passing of Herman, and we want to continue to remember Judy and the rest of the family. Uh, Are there any others on there that... uh, uh, Your mom and dad doing okay, Steve? Let's see. Okay. Um, Going at looking at the friends and family, I haven't had an update recently on Katie Jo Bailey, but we need to continue to remember her unless somebody... Katie, Joe. Um, I did speak some with, and, and Ken gave an update a little bit on Randy Tatum uh, at the Deacons' Meeting this past Sunday, and uh, need to continue to remember Randy. Uh, Floyd and Sue Prince, continue to remember them. And our missionaries in Calgary, Josh and uh, Allison Hatfield. Continue to remember Amanda Harris and also Don Smith. Amanda is Mark Smith's niece and Don Smith is Mark's dad. Continue to remember him in prayer. Um, Wade Hall is still recovering. Wendy Crouch. Pat, you have an update on Wendy? have from her. She should be giving test back. Okay. Okay. So tests are still... Either on, ongoing or, or waiting on results. Continue to remember Mr. Jack Heiss at uh, Marble Plains Baptist Church. Uh, we still, you don't see a lot of in the news, uh, but the people of Ukraine. We need to continue to remember them and the ongoing situation there. Uh, Victims of the Texas school shooting is on here, and uh, Kenny and Patricia Boucher which are brother Jim's neighbors. We need to remember remember him, or actually the both of them, Kenny and Patricia. Is any that need to be added to the list, or does anybody else have? Jackson's Chastain family. Okay, they're expecting twins, and uh, uh, just continue to pray for them. that's all here, then let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight just thanking you for your power and your glory, for your sunshine, even though it's warm and extremely warm. We know that you've got that, and you're in control. Lord, I pray for those that have to be out in it and, and work uh pray that you just protect them and that they wisely seek uh, water nourishment. Lord I, I thank you for being able to meet here tonight and I may the words that are shared with brother Jim touch our hearts and Lord we've lifted many names tonight before you uh, in the prayer list and pray that Lord you you don't know what you do know what's going on with them and I pray, Lord, that you, in our lifting them, you in a special way, touch them and they feel our prayers and, and, and your presence. Lord, thank you again for our church and for the Vacation Bible School that we had last week. Lord, the lives that have been touched and even those workers, Lord, that uh, and their lives touched too and, and being able to talk and share and, and just be in your house, Lord. I pray that you just uh, be with the rest of this service, be with Brother Jim and Samantha and the, and the rest of the of the church members that have gone out there, and I pray that you give them traveling mercies, Lord, and and that we and we'll get reports when they get back, Lord, of what's uh, taking place with our with our congregations and, and our Baptists across the the nation, Lord. We ask that you you just protect us and forgive us where we fall short. We love you, and, and we'll talk later. In Christ's name, amen.
2: Well, good evening, good to see you. Obviously, we're still here in Southern California uh, tonight. Uh, The Southern Baptist Convention ends uh, about the same time your service is in there. So thank you, Pat, uh, thank you, Mike, for the song there. Uh, Just wanna share with you tonight a message from Mark Clifton, who is the church replanter for the North American Mission Board. He preached during the pastor's conference this week, and I thought it was a great message that not only applied to pastors, as obviously that was the setting, but he also speaks to us as the church and as individual Christians. So I just want to encourage you to listen to this video, and then I'll be back at the
3: end.
4: Well, good evening. What a glorious sound to hear you singing, right? Most wonderful instrument for worship is the human voice. I'm grateful to be with you tonight. Like you, I could certainly use some encouragement. These have been some incredibly difficult years, months, and weeks. And God, in his sovereignty, shows that we would together look at the glorious and wonderful book of Colossians. And as I have spent time in this book, I have been deeply encouraged. Let me draw your attention to Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. As Paul, a prisoner in Rome, writes this letter. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God the Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and that the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope that is laid up before you in the word of truth the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Ephraes our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on behalf and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Father I ask that in these moments you would just overwhelm us with an awareness of your presence among us in all of your resurrected glory and the power of your holy spirit upon this place lord some of us come here with incredible burdens and struggles and conflicts in our churches in our families in our lives father you are here the prince of peace May we experience you in all of your fullness. May we meet you at the point of our greatest need. Father, I pray with all that I have that your spirit would breathe on this place. My words can do no good. Father, I pray you anoint these words and use them as only you can. Lord, remove the scales from our eyes so that we can see our sin and embrace your glory. Unclog our ears so that we no longer hear only the threats and temptations of the adversary, but we hear your glorious truth. And most of all, Father, take our hearts that can be as cold and as hard as alabaster and make them again warm hearts of flesh that in your hand you can shape and mold for your glory and for our joy. How we pray that tonight in Jesus' name amen this convention has always been about the gospel it was about the gospel in 1845 when some of you look like you might have been there gathered on that day and decided we needed to take the gospel around the world it was there in 1967 in Detroit when I was there at my first Southern Baptist Convention I was seven years old I did not attend alone I went with my parents I've been to over 50 of these conventions. I'm not sure what that says about me. It may not be good, but I've enjoyed them. And I do remember, even as that young child, the emphasis on the gospel. We've always been about the gospel. And I pray with all that I have that we will continue to always be about the gospel. Because when we're no longer about the gospel, we're no longer of any use to him. It's interesting that when Paul decided to pen this glorious and wonderful letter that has meant so much to so many for so many centuries, he sent it to a very small town in the Lycus Valley, just a short distance from the big and famous city of Laodicea, a town Paul had never even visited one he'd never been to. This small out-of-the-way town off the beaten path was the recipient of this glorious letter because to the Apostle Paul there are no unimportant churches. There are no unimportant places. To the Apostle Paul in the spread of the kingdom in the advance of the gospel in the in the absolute glory of God and His determination, there are no places that don't matter. I don't know about you, but I'm warmed that it's a small, out-of-the-way place. I do think in the years that I've been part of the Southern Baptist Convention, it's probably not been totally intentional, but we have many times forgotten all of those small, out-of-the-way places. Places where God is still very much at work. Places we may never hear about, but places that are incredibly important. Places like the place where I serve in Linwood, Kansas. You could get the whole city of Linwood in this building. I don't mean the people, I mean the whole city. All the buildings, the school, the church, everything would probably fit in this building. It's less than 400 people. Not saying we're a small town, but when Third Street is on the edge of town, that's a pretty small town. We did get a Dollar General. We call it the mall. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We have tens of thousands of churches in places like that. In fact, 33 million Americans live in rural America. And in many ways, it's one of the most underreached parts of our country. So it was a small place, an out-of-the-way place, not a big church, not a big city, not Laodicea. It was to this church, to these Colossians, he wrote this glorious letter because they were important to him. They were important to God. And I want you to know this evening, if you don't hear anything else, the rest of this week, I don't care where you serve, it matters to God, and so do you. I'll never forget Henry Blackaby once said when he first went to Faith Baptist in Saskatoon his friend said Henry if you go up there to that little dying church in Saskatoon and take all of your family up there nobody will even know where you are Henry Blackaby said God knows where I am and that's all that matters I want you to know God knows where you are and that's all that matters we have tens of thousands of vocational pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention. Tens of thousands of pastors of churches like mine of less than 75 people on Sunday morning. And most of them aren't here because they can't travel to Anaheim. So hopefully if they're watching this, they'll know that they are being thought of and loved and cared for. God loves small places. God embraces those places. But not only is it a small place where this letter is written to, but it's one man that made it possible, this, this unique man that Paul talks about. Epaphras. there he is, a wonderful servant. No doubt he left his community and, and journeyed to hear Paul preach. And he was converted. And what did he do? This one man with this one burden went back to his town and he shared the gospel and he planted a church. That's the way it always is. The church begins in the heart of a believer. God has people in every community, in every city like this man. It's one small place and one individual. I really believe sometimes we think it has to be big places and lots of people to really matter. But it's not true. Can you imagine even Tychicus, the other young man that was with Paul, when these letters were written, these prison letters in Rome, when they were written, you can imagine as they rolled them up and, and put them in some sort of, 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 of protection, a container or whatever that would try to keep them dry. It was a long and dangerous journey from Rome to these cities in Turkey. You can imagine, can't you? As Tychicus takes those letters and as he leaves of all places a Roman prison and as he goes through the most glorious city the world has known to that date and he passes all of these amazing monuments and fantastic buildings and all the power of Rome and here he is just one little man with one little bundle. Who would have thought anything of that? And yet... 2000 years later Rome is ruins and the gospel in this letter is here don't ever forget the work you do matters for all eternity don't compare it to the world around you we've not seen the final chapter yet it's one man committed faithful can i just tell you I've had the privilege in the last several years of serving Southern Baptist and I've had the privilege of spending a lot of my time with what I call normative sized churches. I say normative size because if your church is like mine, less than about 175, you're like 80% of all churches. And if you're 80% of all churches, you can't be small. I have four wonderful grandsons. If my daughter-in-laws take those boys to the pediatrician and he says, these boys are in the 80th percentile, my daughter-in-laws do not say, well, we've got small boys. We got normal-sized boys. And I believe with all of my heart that the real power, the real strength, the untapped resource in the Southern Baptist Convention isn't so much the handful of really large churches but it's the tens of thousands of smaller normative sized churches in every community every crossroads every neighborhood and the adversary knows that and if he can make us feel isolated and alone and cut off and unimportant and small he can keep us where he wants us But let me tell you you are not isolated you are not alone and you are not small you have all the power of the risen Christ with you some months ago, some years ago, actually, I served for a brief while as the interim director of missions in a small rural association of less than 30 churches. I wanted to meet with all of the pastors in that association, and the vast majority of them were bivocational, so the only place in that small county seat town to really eat was Pizza Hut, so I met them all at Pizza Hut when they got off of work, one after the other, and Sure enough, one evening I was meeting one of these pastors. He'd been at this small church of about 40 people for well over 20 years. And he worked for the city utility company. And he was, so I was meeting him when he got off of work. And so he's a man in his 50s and he comes in and he's been working all day in the city utilities. And he sits down at Pizza Hut with me and and he just begins to order his food. And he gets a phone call from his wife. And she's a school teacher. And she says, honey, you got to come right now. You know that young lady that's been visiting our church. Well, her boyfriend, he got drunk and, and he beat her up and he's in jail and I'm going to go pick her up and she's going to spend the night with us and you need to go to the jail and see him. And so that man, that bivocational pastor who'd been at that church for 20 years, a church of 40 people that nobody writes about, nobody talks about, nobody's going to tweet about, he'd worked all day. He says, Mark, I don't have time to eat. And he got back in his truck and he went to the county jail. Can I tell you, that story happens over and over and over again every day across the Southern Baptist Convention. God is at work in the lives of men like that, in the lives of men and women like you. And only eternity is going to reveal the true results of his labor and of your labor. And I want you to be fully aware of that. It was a small place this letter was written to. And this church was started by one single faithful servant. And the letter itself was carried by one very unremarkable man walking through a remarkable city doing something that God had long ago preordained. But the not only do we have one town, one place, but something happened there. Paul makes it abundantly clear that something happened there at Colossae. There's, there's some good things going on and he's rejoicing in them because he's saying this. He's saying that the gospel has multiplied and is bearing fruit. Now we say we're people of the gospel. We say we're a denomination all about the gospel. We use the word gospel an awful lot but Paul makes it clear here that if we truly are about the gospel, then there's going to be some, are you ready for this? Some fruit of the gospel. And the fruit he talks about here, buckle up, is love and joy and caring for each other. It's that sweet spirit he sees in them. I have the wonderfully exciting privilege of serving Southern Baptist and leading every attempt we can have to reclaim dying churches for the best part of my ministry, or the better, I shouldn't say the best part. (laughs) Well, maybe so, I don't know. For the early part of my ministry, I did church planting, but God has shifted my ministry now to run toward dying churches. Brothers and sisters, as Southern Baptists, we realize the loss of 800 churches every year. And before you think those are places where nobody lives, it's not true. Over 75% of those churches are in uh, communities of larger than 100,000 people. How can a church that believes the Bible from Genesis to the map in the back, how can a church that many of them have their buildings and their lands paid for, how can a church many of them have a pastor and have Sunday School and have members who are mature in their faith, how can a church like that, surrounded by people who don't know Jesus, how can that church come to a place that they have to close their doors? Because the gospel is not evident in that church. Because where the gospel is, it is alive, and where it is alive, it spreads. And where the gospel is, it bears fruit, and the fruit is love and compassion.
3: What
4: we often see in dying and declining churches, well, since you ask, what do we see in dying and declining churches? We see a lot of very similar things. All of them have to do with their avoidance of the gospel. Oh, they'll tell you they believe the gospel. They'll sing about the gospel. They'll even preach about the gospel. They'll talk about the gospel. But unlike the believers, the Colossian believers, there's no evidence of that. Dying churches care more about their own needs and comfort than they care about the lost around them. How about the evangelist Jonah? The only time Jonah was happy in that entire book was when his head was covered with a vine. And then he was mad when somebody took it away. Sometimes in dying and declining churches, the only thing that makes us happy is when we have things the way we want them and we get real mad when people are going to take those things away. Dying and declining churches tend to anesthetize the pain of death with an overabundance of activity that really has no impact on lost people or the community, but they stay busy. And as long as we're staying busy, we're doing something for God. Sometimes the hardest thing in a dying church to do is to get them to quit doing what they're doing because what they're doing is not doing any good. But everybody likes to do it, so we keep doing it. Dying churches refuse to pass leadership to the next generation. Dying churches want the next generation. They want young people there. But they don't want to give control to young people. I've had many occasions when churches have said to me, Mark, can you help us find a young pastor? What do you mean, like nine years old? How young do you want to go here? No, they said, you know what we mean. I said, no, tell me. Well, we don't have any young people. We want a young pastor. As if that's all it takes I've never had a church say to me mark we have to repent because we have no young people so we've obviously made some decisions that have made this church a place where young people don't feel welcome or we failed to make some decisions that we should have to make young people feel important those are hard things to hear but if you don't have any young people in your church I could probably put you in a car and take you to some other church in your county that's filled with young people. Young people go to church. They just don't go to your church. And we have to ask ourselves, why? We need to pass leadership to the next generation. Dying churches tend to value the outcome of decision. Excuse me. Dying churches tend to value the process of decision over the outcome of decision. (laughs) In other words, put it to you this way. They know more about the bylaws than they know about the epistles. And they're really quick to pull out the bylaws and the Constitution and tell you, you haven't followed everything. And if they would know as much about the New Testament as they knew about the bylaws, they wouldn't have the trouble that they have. But we, our process is everything. Dying churches tend to focus on what they don't have rather than what they do have. Well, we just don't have any youth. We just don't have any children. We don't have any good music program. We don't have, we don't have. Those may be true things. But can I tell you, if you truly are the church, what you do have? You have the risen Christ in your midst every time you gather in all of his resurrected glory. And I know at times we gather and we say, Lord, be with us today, as though he hasn't made up his mind whether he's going to join the service or not as though you're not sure you would either if you had a choice. I've had some Sundays like that. I wanted to pull the fire alarm so I didn't have to hear myself preach. About did it back there. Lord be with us today. Lord be with our pastor today. Richard Blackaby says if you gotta pray Lord be with your pastor, get a new pastor for goodness sake. What you pray is Lord, we may be small in number, but that doesn't matter. The resurrected Christ in all of his glory is here among us. And preach expectant for him to speak to your people, and he will. Dying churches tend to resent the community for not responding as it once did. You know, these people just don't like us. Really, they didn't like Jesus either. Did you remember that? You got got that? And as though it's something's wrong with the community rather than it's wrong with us in fact oftentimes resenting the community is really the death wheeze of a church the gospel is what brings churches back to life the gospel is what brings pastors back to life the gospel is what brings church members back to life how do you know whether what you really are Owning and living and breathing is the gospel. Dear saints, I mean this with all kindness, but so often when I deal with dying and declining churches, and you as a pastor, you've heard this. I know you have. I have. You can't forget about us older people. We're the ones that pay the bills around here. I had a bunch of older people tell me that one time. And they said, what's going to happen if we quit giving our money? I said, we'll probably do better. Because Jesus will resource his plan for his church every time, and he certainly doesn't need your money. Now, in all honesty, I was an interim pastor, and I had a full-time job somewhere else, so (laughs) I'll give you that. Or I've had them say, do you know what I've done for this church for the last 40 years? Here's what I mean about the gospel. Are you ready? Listen, in the scale of eternity, in the scale of heaven and hell, in the scale of your eternal soul, what you did for that church in the last 40 years means nothing. You could sell your 401k and give it to international missions. You could give every dollar in your bank and sell your house and give it all to domestic missions. You could give your entire paycheck to the church. You could move into the church, get a room in there, actually clear out the flower room, because every dying church has a flower room. Clear out the flower room. and (laughs) It's true. Clear out the flower room. Not every church with the flower room is a dying church, but every dying church has a flower room. And it's locked, by the way. And you don't have the key. But you could could clear out the flower room, right? And you could live in there and you could work in the church 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And let me tell you, friend, it wouldn't buy you one minute outside of hell. In terms of your eternity, it doesn't matter what you've done for this church in the last 40 years. What matters is what Jesus has done for you in the last 40 seconds. And when you realize that, you begin to have compassion for your community. You quit thinking about yourself and you think about Jesus. And when you think about Jesus, you love the world the way Jesus loves the world. People say to me all the time, well, how do you change a dying church? What's the plan? What's the? There isn't a plan. There isn't a program. It's the gospel well what's that it's compassion when Jesus when the lawyer came to Jesus and he said what do I have to do to be saved I'm you know I'm all about the bylaws here what's legal you know we got some rules in this church and what's all this about and Jesus gives him the story of the Good Samaritan and the priests and the Levite passed their eye on the other side. Priest and Levite knew all the scripture, knew all the right words, sang all the right songs, attended all the right meetings, had all the right bylaws, but they passed by. The one that was their enemy, the Samaritan, stopped. And not only stopped, he bent down. And not only did he bend down, he touched his wounds, and he, he nursed his wounds, and he put him on his own animal. He carried him to an inn. He spent the night with the guy. He paid for that, and then he wrote a blank check. What was the difference between the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan? It wasn't knowledge. It wasn't memorization of Scripture. It wasn't church attendance. It was compassion. And until your people and my people, let me rephrase that, until you and I as pastors get compassion for our city, compassion for the lost, compassion for people who hate us, we will never fully understand the gospel it is all about compassion because we need to realize how lost we were and how he had compassion on us and he continues to have compassion on us not only was it a small place in one person not only was it the fruit of the gospel that he saw there but also he wanted them to know in this wonderful wonderful letter I love this Paul is in prison and he's, he's shut up in a Roman prison. And he says, he says in this wonderful phrase, he says, I love this. He says in verse five, of this you've heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, and indeed the whole world. Paul is in chains. <laughs> and, and he says, we can be excited because the whole world is gonna hear the gospel. Oh, listen! I know what it's like to show up on Sunday morning and do the parking lot count. You know how many cars are there. You know there's nine. You know that means there's like 23 people. You think they're all going to come late, but you realize they're not. And then a couple of them leave after Sunday school and don't stay for worship. You know what's up with that? I know what it's like. Pastor a church that's small and at times struggle. I've never pastored a church more than 150. I'm not bragging. That's just the truth. I know what it's like to feel that way. Can I tell you something? I know what it's like to pastor a church and I know some of them, if it, my church in Linwood, if you're watching, this isn't you. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Just saying, <laughs> all right? All right. But I know, what it's like to, <laughs> I know what it's like to pastor a bunch of dysfunctional people, all right? I know what it's like to pastor a dumpster fire. I really do. I, I would tell them, if you, if you knew everything about me, you wouldn't want to hear me preach, but if I knew everything about you, I wouldn't want to preach to you, so we're even. <laughs> but my very first church I ever pastored was up in rural North Missouri, a little country church called Alta Vista out in the country. I was 18 or 19 years old, and right out front of the church was a cemetery. And the, back, the doors were always open because we didn't have air conditioning, and as I was preaching, I could see a graveyard out there, and then there was a cemetery beyond it. That's a joke, all right? But I could I could and I, and, and, you know, in a rural cemetery, they're all, all the people, you're all, when they bury you, they bury you with your face in the east, amen? So that when the, when the, when the, when the, when the the second coming comes, you just, you just, you just raise and you see the east. I want you to know something. I knew as I was preaching to that group that if the Lord would return at that very moment... What was in front of me was not gonna be a dysfunctional group of believers that were a problem or a dysfunctional pastor who was full of pride and ego. But first thing that would happen is the dead in Christ would rise first out of that cemetery. And listen, church, you want the second thing that would happen? That bride I'm looking at out there would become a perfected bride instantly. I would too. Because my corruption will put on incorruption and my mortal is going to put on immortality and all of these people and ultimately, guys, the church you pastor today is not the church that's going to be there when he comes back. John writes these words as we close. Then look, I heard around the throne and the living creatures, the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads of thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. Listen to that. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory forever. Amen. Friends, we win in the end. The gospel will be proclaimed. It's just up to us whether we're to be part of it or not. And I pray that we will.
2: Well, I hope you enjoyed that message. Thank you so much for joining with us tonight. Uh, I'll be back in church on Sunday. Uh, Look forward to seeing you then. Uh, Come and join us for Sunday School at 915, our worship services at 1030. You have a blessed week, and we will see you later. Well, good evening, good to see you, obviously.